Previously on Gus Tulip, Private Dick, which I know was already quite a long time ago, but there is a great reason for the delay. I was working on a new series. Yep, a brand new Canterlope production. Spam Jam Radio, five minute jams for short attention spans. Who's next? Yeah, three scoops in a cup, please. Stracciatella, stracciatella, and stracciatella. Wait, can I taste the stracciatella? Actually, it's already been out there for a while, so do yourself a favor and check it out. It's short, it's funny. Link in the notes or find it wherever you find your podcasts. But, yeah. Previously on Gus Tulip, Private Dick. Gus awoke in his studio with severe memory loss, an octopus in his toilet, and a creepy new boss called Hilario Gable. Hello, Porkchop. Dobbs Fabulon had been unexpectedly called away. On his phone, a series of photos with an unfamiliar woman with a shaved head. Then, an unexpected visit from the laughers that fall. I am Laugher Bentley, and this is Laugher Franz. Who came bearing messages. Dops Fabulon had not been called away. He'd been murdered. <gasps> and, more importantly, this had everything to do with Gus's true and only nemesis, Stinko Fist, who was not in fact dead, but alive and stronger and busier than ever, with his finger in many pies. Stinko Fist. But let's waste no more time now and move right along. Hope you're ready. Here we go. <clears throat> Tuesday, May 16, 1989. On an island somewhere in the Pacific, two boys cling to a cliff in the pelting rain at dusk as carnivorous parakeets dive bomb them, screeching. <laughs> Wind lashes at their exhausted bodies while fingertips grasp ledges full of centipedes and snakes. This is their story. Chucky Oysters met Ricky Biscuits when they were both around 12, though no one knew exactly how old either was. These were also not their birth names, which had never been officially recorded, and otherwise had long since been forgotten. Both boys had never known their parents, bouncing from orphanage to wicked orphanage. What are you looking at, boy? <laughs> foster to crooked foster <laughs> since birth. <laughs> with stops at farms, circuses, and various houses of vice along the way. <laughs> Until they finally arrived at Broken Soul Manor within a week of one another. This was no normal orphanage. Notorious in the industry, it was hidden from the rest of the world and off-grid located on a rugged private island off the coast of Mexico, beyond the reach of local and international authorities. Here, no one could hear you scream. Or sing. 
in the shower. It was, in essence, a slave labor camp and a place of grave and persistent depravity. During the day, the children mined the red sand quarries for minerals or worked in the factory making rainbow jelly donuts for export. At night, they collected sperm from cave spiders to make glue for dollhouses or processed local salamanders into stimulants for golfers and lacrosse players. Get in the hole! Speakers were placed strategically throughout the complex and through them, a mix of sirens and alarms, ominous drones, slaughterhouse soundscapes, and tweaked out vocal arrangements isolated from awful pop songs was played at regular intervals to destabilize and demoralize the children. Sometimes interspersed with wonky accordion riffs played by demented chimpanzees. They slept in muddy holes infested with swamp lice and were fed one meal a day consisting of cockroach fritters, sautéed bat vaginas, donut grease and rainbow sprinkles, or if lucky, cat food served in an old boot. Men with sweaty ball sacks who smelled of burnt garlic and sour milk would sometimes come in at night looking for company, forcing the kids to play 20 questions. Are you Engelbert Humperdinck? Or Scrabble. Snorbalonk, that's not a word. Or to listen to their poetry. Roses are red, violets are blue. It's been three days since my last good poo. Chucky and Ricky immediately clicked and soon developed a strong bond. Chuck found comfort in Rick's kind, deep green eyes, and Rick found Chuck's warm voice and sunny disposition contagious. As they shared fantasies of escaping and building lives outside, each found in the other a will that was not ready to be broken and the inherent confidence to take on absurd odds. For years they toiled while plotting their escape, waiting for the perfect moment, till... Finally, on a stormy Tuesday during the peak of the yearly salamander races, on your marks. Get set. Which was the biggest social event on the calendar and a massive drunken gambling extravaganza. While all the guards were wasted and distracted, the boys took their chance to slip away. The path ahead was fraught with challenges and dangers. First, they had to crawl through the cave of deep dismay in the pitch dark. Through mounds of bat guano so acidic it burnt the skin and choked the lungs. And teeming with billions of roaches that scurried into noses, mouths and butt cracks alike. 
Then they had to cross the stinking woods of regret, where spitting death unicorns roamed and ancient trees stole souls. And past the shrubs of grave temptation, which whispered in the wind. The nectar of the orchid of delight, your cares will soon disappear. Come on, <laughs> let me show you the slit in my trunk. There's no creamier slit in the world. Mm. Don't be shy, big boy. You've already done it with a hermaphrodite first, and then how about three? Stay and play with us. We'll let you do anything to us, baby. Even water sports, even fisting. In truth, and understandably, they barely made it past those tempting shrubberies. Would you? Each boy perhaps wanted to stay, but would not allow the other to be led astray. <laughs> Their unbreakable bond pulled them through and they would have to use it more because the greatest challenges still lay before. Now they had to climb the Great Wall of Doom. An enormous steep cliff face home to giant centipedes and crevice adders. Mega nests of killer hornets and flocks of bloodthirsty parakeets that attacked at will. It was getting dark and the savage storm battered them with heavy rain and winds. And each boy almost fell to his death 26 times. But they made it at last, collapsing, exhausted on the plateau above. Now, only one thing stood between them and freedom. The Snartus. But let's take a quick break now to pay the bills because... This program is brought to you by... Summer Calhoun's Fart Extender. Did you ever wish you could fart longer with more tremolo? Well, now you can! Introducing Summer Calhoun's Fart Extender. Why fart for but a second when you can let drip for 6, 12, or even 39? Just one tablet a day and your farts are here to stay. Okay, we are back. The Snartus was an enormous beast made up of equal parts dragon, lobster, ostrich and squirrel covered in festering wounds that stank of cheese. It had machete-like claws and dagger-like fangs and could projectile vomit a deadly purple poison. The boys battled the Snartus for almost an hour. Finally defeating it with a combination of quickness, distraction, Krav Maga, and luck. 
It was not a pretty scene and I'll spare you the gory details. But Ricky eventually cut the Snartus from sack to throat with a chef's knife he had stolen. Pulling out its steaming, gleaming guts. And parading around while wearing them as an evening gown. Chucky found this act just a touch excessive. The boys stumbled on, tired and injured, only pausing for a minute at Beelzebub Bluff to gather what was left of their courage and strength before diving off into the dark, churning waters a hundred yards below to swim the channel of gloom on into freedom. Okay, settle down. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Being free was no easy business. The boys were broken, disheveled, with only smarts and stubbornness to go on. After regrouping in a small fishing village where they cleaned windscreens and sold bags of gravy at traffic lights, they traveled north crossing the border in a large vat of mayonnaise on the back of a mule. They hustled their way through bigger cities, trying anything and everything to earn cash. First, shining flip-flops, then sandals and shoes, then selling old couches with pea stains to men with lisps. How much for that sensational specimen on the second floor? They tried their hand at busking, playing the didgeridoo while slapping a bass. They posed naked for art students, doubled in porn and cage fighting, <laughs> and volunteered to take part in sketchy drug trials until they saved enough to start business ventures of their own. First selling bespoke high-end toothpicks, novelty tea cozies and unusual chutneys, maple syrup and manure, lavender and fermented corn. Then briefly running an auction house that specialized in paintings by androids and walking canes for flamingos. Until finally finding their niche organizing pool parties with shitty music and bad drinks for douchebags and skanks. They were best friends and excellent business partners and they invested everything they'd earned in the venture. This was it, and they were all in. Marking this bright new chapter in their difficult lives, the young men adopted professional new names. Chucky now went by Digger Met, and Ricky became Vector Vane. This was also when Delilah Cola entered the picture. V&M Events was thriving, and they hired her as the catering and drinks manager. She liked her martinis dirty as swamp water, and appeared black and white in color photos, and soon they both fell in love with her. Delilah was cunning, ambitious and connected, and also a finance whiz. She soon tweaked the business model, redid the books to avoid taxes, and brought in investors to take the franchise national. <laughs> she also liked to party, 
Introducing the boys to new music, drugs, and ways of life. And at first, they were happy to share her, enjoying several utopian months as a power threesome, spending money, getting high, hosting parties and orgies, and just living their best lives. But the shift had already begun. The end was approaching, and Digger Met had no clue. And so it came to pass that on a sunny Monday morning, less than a year after they'd welcomed Delilah into the fold, Digger awoke in a pumpkin patch on the outskirts of town with five missing teeth, wearing only a diaper and viking helmet. But that's a story for next time, because part one ends right here. Okay, this was a lot of fun. Origins 2 is in the works, and in the meantime, please do check out Spam Jam Radio for a laugh and very little commitment. This has been a Cantor Loop production. Thanks for listening.